Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Creative Control with Beach Comic. Well, we made it. We made it through an epic week. Four episodes this week. I was not. That is not what I signed up for with the show. I, I promise you, we'll get back to one or two episodes a week. I, I hope. It's just there was a lot going on, and it's. I mean, it's good. It's all good stuff. I mean, here we are, fourth episode of the week. Thurston Moore of Chelsea Light Moving and Sonic Youth is on to talk about all sorts of stuff. His entire history, really, as a musician, as much as we could get to. And uh, also his new band, how things stand with him and the other members of Sonic Youth, and uh, and more. You'll hear it. Let's get to it. Thurston Moore, I'm so thrilled to have him on this show. I've spoken to him before, but this is great. This is this was a good one. I'm happy about it. And uh, if you stick around uh, till the end, you'll hear a song from the latest uh, Chelsea Light Moving album. So what more can I say? Let's get to it. Hey, this week's episode is brought to you by Pizza Trocadero. For my money, the best pizza you can eat in Guelph, Ontario. A proud, independent family business run by a punk rocker, Trocadero only uses a rich array of fresh ingredients cut by hand and homemade dough made daily, all baked to perfection inside of a stone oven. It's gourmet panzerotti, calzones, wings, salads, garlic bread, breadsticks, and oh man, the pizza. The pizza, personally... I like the gourmet Domateo with goat cheese, artichoke, roasted red pepper, mushrooms. I sub out the turkey breast for eggplant, but that's just me. Wash the whole thing down with a brio? Man, I am getting hungry just talking about this. Call Pizza Trocadero at 519-829-2444. Visit them at 7 Municipal Street in Guelph and online at trocaderoguelph.ca. T-R-O-K-A-D-E-R-O. G-U-E-L-P-H dot C-A That's Pizza Trocadero A place of the good trade Thurston Moore is one of America's most influential and notable musicians, best known for playing guitar, writing songs, and singing in New York City's Sonic Youth. 
Since that band formed in 1981, Moore has taken on countless other musical projects, collaborated with many, many artists in different contexts, and started his own label, Ecstatic Peace. Well before Sonic Youth went on hiatus in 2011, Moore began working with a new group of players and eventually formed a band with them called Chelsea Light Moving, who released their self-titled debut LP earlier this year on Matador Records. Chelsea Light Moving's current tour brings them to Hamilton on September 14th, Toronto on September 15th, and Montreal on September 16th. Here now to discuss some of these things is Thurston Moore. Hi, Thurston. How are you? Hey. Good. How are you? I'm very well. Where in the world are you? Uh, right now, I'm doing a 10-hour uh, rental car drive from Chicago to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, to try and make it to a gig tonight. Oh. <laughs> Probably get in around 10 p.m. No sound check. We're just gonna hit the stage and like, just, you know, light it up. Oh man, that's uh, you're not driving and talking, are you? You're not supposed to do that. No, no. Actually, John Maloney, uh, Chelsea Light Moving drummer, is driving right now. Okay, good. I just want you to be safe. Yeah. Oh no, I'm safe. Okay. Uh, more or less. <laughs> now, you you and John Maloney just performed some station-to-station shows. Can you talk more about what that was all about? Yeah, that was pretty intense. It, it was it's this artist, Doug Aitken, who uh, got some funding to sort of do this uh, traveling art and music uh, event that he curated with uh, lots of different artists, uh, some very well-known and some more obscure, and same with the musicians. And uh, he's presenting it in uh, different train stations across America, like beautiful old train stations like Union Station in Chicago, and we were, uh, we were at the train station in Pittsburgh. Those are the two we did. Uh-huh. Um, and it's continuing through the month, and it's going you know, all the way through Santa Fe and up the West Coast. And he's uh, leased these beautiful old vintage rail cars um, uh, from uh, like a, a, a people who sort of like collect these things. And kind of amazing and he has a whole crew on board of like you know really wonderful sort of food people and uh lots of different people who are who are uh, you know from radio and uh tv and people who are making films and just journalists and you know different artists are on board um so it's 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 kind of an amazing thing you know you have people like the artist jorge prado like outfit the the seat covers in one of the cars you know something like that you know hmm. and he has and at, at each train station, there's a there's a performance that goes on with different music, and he gets local like marching bands, uh, what have you. Like in Chicago, he had a a local marching band play the music of Sun Ra as they sort of blew through the audience, just like you know, uh, creating this magnificent uh, noise. And then and then you know, a band like No Age would immediately start at the end of that, you know, and it would be this kind of seamless uh, thing. Nice. Yeah, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. It's like it's a big production, and, and there's like three huge screens uh, at the back of each of these jerry-rigged stages in these places. These places are not very uh, uh, acoustic um, uh, geared places. Uh, they're they're kind of these huge reverb chambers, so you have to sort of think about that when you play, um, because it just becomes like a big booming cathedral of sound, which right. is good for for me. <laughs> yeah. So what, 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 anyway, that was really cool. We, we were only on it for like just those two things. And then, you know, God, I mean, I wish I would have loved to have been on that whole trip. I can't imagine. It's pretty, it's pretty fantastic watching the, watching uh, the world rush by as you're kind of in a recording car, like playing music or just hanging out and uh, having a beer or something. It's, it's, it's 
pretty cool. So at, at any point, uh, I'm a little confused. Were, were you yourselves mobile while you were performing, or were you stationary? Um, no, no. You, you, you know, when we're recording, uh, you know, you're mobile. But now you get to the station, and then you set up in the um, in, in the station itself. So no, you're not mobile. You're 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 in like the grand station, and you're kind of you set up on this big stage, and you play. You play there, and um, it's, you know it goes on from like eight to eleven, kind of thing. Right, um, and and this was yeah. this was sponsored by Levi's, right? I'm I'm just curious why Levi's. Oh yeah, Levi. Well, I mean, it's it's a it's a it's completely expensive undertaking. You can imagine like renting these vintage cars and and having all this uh, you know, all this art and paying musician fees or whatever fees have to be paid. Um, it's it it takes a pocket full of change, so they needed somebody who. Uh, was uh, you know somewhat flush, so Levi's sort of stepped up, and yeah, you know they I think they kind of keep their um, their logo blazoning to uh, to a limit. I think there was some negotiation as far as like how how big that Levi's logo can be, you know, <laughs> uh, without it getting in the way of things. But um, yeah, you know, it's the whole we're living in a culture of uh, you know the acceptability of branding as far as like getting work out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's yeah, good. I guess good. Words. Good on Levi's. I guess probably people were wearing. Were they people wear Levi's all the time? There's probably a bunch of people wearing Levi's in the crowd. Uh, you you would think, yeah. I mean, I got you know, I was able to source a damn a new pair of uh, Levi jeans. Kind of <laughs> hip. <you know? laughs> well, good the, for the you. Free, the, free, the, you know, the freebie situation kind of worked out for us. You know, so it's kind of nice. What is your? Uh, I don't want to get too personal, but what is your? What is your gene dimension? I'm just curious. You're a big guy. What is my gene dimension? <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't realize this was a science fiction interview. Um, well, you really need to know this, don't you? I, I think maybe uh, I'm kind of like a 46. I mean, no, 36, 37. <laughs> yeah, I put on a few pounds since the last time you saw me. I'm like a 36, 37. Okay, is that the? I'm about a 30. I'm 55 years old, so I have that 55 year old belly, you know. <laughs> Even though I run five miles a day and do like three hours of yoga and, and like uh, and do powerlifting, uh, yeah, I can try to keep that belly flat. Now. No, no, it's good. I, I'm I'm about a thirty-six <laughs> by thirty-four myself. I got a thirty-four. Uh, like I'm a tall guy too. That's why, and I, I have trouble getting. Oh, uh, okay, okay. I, I have trouble getting good jeans. That's the only reason I was asking. Oh yeah, it's really hard. It's, it's getting clothes and shoes and everything when you're kind of like. You're not normal. <laughs> it's kind of a tough, tough deal. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. Well, it's good. I gotta get. I'm, I'm gonna get a Levi sponsorship somehow for this show. See if I'll get some free jeans. Oh, there you go. <laughs> well, all the guys call. Like, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll hand it off to you if I see you. <laughs> As I suggested in my introduction, you've done a lot of things in your musical life, and I, I was thinking about this today. How many actual bands have you been in since you first started playing guitar? Well, I mean, primarily Sonic Youth. Um, before that, I was in a, a New York City band from '77 to about to about early '80 called the Coachmen, and we were just sort of a prototypical downtown New York kind of avant-garde sort of no wave band of sorts. Um, I was playing with these uh, students who came out of Rhode Island School of Design. They were kind of in their class right after like David Byrne and his cohorts and Talking Heads and stuff like that. Uh-huh. that. That was the first band I was in, and then I, I started. Sonic Youth. We had a couple of different names before uh, I, I landed on Sonic Youth, um, and you know that's primarily uh, the band I was in uh, through the '80s. I mean, I did stuff with like Lydia Lunch, and we had a little thing called In Limbo, and we recorded 
and I was playing with Glenn Bronca and his ensemble. Um, and I played with other people like Reese Chatham was another sort of, was another downtown sort of guitar experimentalist, um, of notes. And I think in the nineties, I got more involved with playing improvised music, uh, just like free improvised music and really sort of devoting a lot of it attention and kind of investigation into that kind of playing. Mm-hmm. And so it gets away from the band thing more into just sort of like, you know, small ensemble playing, like trios, duos, uh, quartets, and playing with, you know, different people who have, you know, varying uh, techniques, you know, in like free playing, whether it's going from a jazz world or if it's coming from just like, a, you know, just out of the void, you know, which is mostly where a lot of us come from, you know, we're not really... Uh, trained musicians in any kind of academic sense. So um, that was really interesting to me because there was a lot of players who were well on in their years, into their 50s and 60s, who had been devoting their entire musical lives to just sort of playing uh, improvised music, people like Derek Bailey or Evan Parker, even John Zorn and, and such. And so that that was a real interesting um, kind of community to sort of get involved with and that kind of it just led me into playing with lots of different people. As far as bands, um, you know, I would sort of have ad hoc bands that would I would do things with, you know. I mean, uh, but basically they were just sort of band names to support, like, a solo effort. You know, when I did my first album, solo album in 95, it was called Psychic Hearts. Yeah. I checked toward a little bit, but, you know, I called the band Male Slut. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, and, and I did a couple other records under my own name. Um, but, you know, I would join other bands that were just sort of like these kind of spurious bands like the Velvet Monkeys. And, uh, so I, um, right now, just Chelsea Light Moving is just an extension of um, of me just doing a, a solo project. But I, I kind of wanted to get away from having a spotlight on my name as like the solo guy from Sonic Youth or something. And yeah. I don't know. I just like, it, 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 it seemed just too kind of... Um, uh, self, I don't know, what do you call it, grandizing or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, just wanted, I just wanted to step away from that, kind of like my name and lights kind of thing. So, and I like the idea of a of a band because it's like a it's like a gang. So you have like a gang name, you know? Sure. Uh, so Chelsea Light Moving was something I came across when I was reading about the history of uh, early kind of New York music uh, from like 72 to... Uh, 78, maybe, and it was a great book by this guy, Will Hermes, he's a rock writer. It's called Love Goes to Buildings on Fire. Yeah. And uh, so um, there was a, there was a, uh, there's some information in that book about Philip Glass, uh, the, the minimalist composer, where he uh, was trying to, the early days of the 70s, he was trying to make money to sort of put on concerts of his piano music, and so he would um, rent out a, a moving van and a little ads of paper, and he called his so-called company Chelsea Light Moving. Chelsea is like a little, is a small district in New York City. Right, right. Got a lot of artists kind of like lived in, and, and you know, Light Moving was just like that's all you wanted to do. <laughs> 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 heavy lift. It was not Chelsea Heavy Lifting, but you know, <laughs> Chelsea Heavy Lifting actually might have been a better name for this band, actually. Yeah, know. that's not bad, actually. <laughs> flip, flip it a little bit. Wasn't Steve Reich involved as well? Right. I talked to Phil Glass about this. I met him, actually. I played a festival. I just did a little tour where I was playing in duo with Yoko Ono, and uh, it was really fantastic. And we played in these, in all through Europe and uh, all through August. 
and one of the shows was with Phil Glass, and I had dinner with them, and I was just like, oh, this is incredible, I'm having dinner with Phil Glass and Yoko Ono talking about, like, you know, music. And um, and then I just sort of turned to him, I said, oh, you know, by the way, I, I should tell you that I've been sort of playing in a band that I uh, I, I titled uh, after um, this early episode in your professional life, and it's called Chelsea Light Moving, and he slammed his hands down on the on the dinner table, and, like, looked at me and said, like, you're the one. <laughs> and uh, I was like, well, but he was really into it. He was just like, he had heard he had heard about it, heard rumors about it. And he was just like, confused. He thought, like, that couldn't be a coincidence. You know, <laughs> that, uh, somebody would call themselves then. Um, but he was really he was really enamored by it. He was really into it. And he, he, he said Steve Reich worked one afternoon with them. And, but, you know, he picks on the glory of uh, actually being part of the Chelsea Light movie. Oh, I but he see. Said it was him, he, he said it was him and, and his uh, a, a cousin of his, I believe, who he's very close to, and who passed away last year. And he was like, oh, he would have been so into the fact that there was a band named after this movie company. That oh, they nice. Had. Uh, so I asked him if he had any, like, did you guys have any... Uh, jackets or t-shirts or stickers or anything and he said no 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 there's no ephemera there's nothing he said the only thing was like a little ad that was in the soho weekly news which was sort of a like a, a sort of a lesser paper to the village voice in new york in those days uh-huh. i have to go back into the um i have to go back into the library and look for some early issues of that newspaper and see what his uh graphic look like. like <laughs> continue to rip off those glass. <laughs> Not a bad person to rip off, if I might say. That's a smart thinking on your part. You mentioned the the coachman in the early seventies. Can you discuss a little bit about who or what first inspired you to play and, and whether or not you actually pursued other instruments besides guitar. You're so associated with guitar, but I'm just curious about your... I am, and I don't really even know how to play guitar in any, like, real, in a traditional way. I mean, I do. I can't, you know, I can play, I can play uh, Louie Louie and Smoke on the Water and things like that. But I, I am not, I, you know, I sort of just taught myself how to play almost right out of the gate in a really unorthodox way. And I think it had a lot to do with going to New York as, like, a 19-year-old and getting involved with musicians who weren't coming out of any sort of traditional or academic kind of musical world, but they were coming out of just like kind of a more sort of liberated kind of sense of just like approaching um, rock music at that time, specifically punk rock, but the idea that you can just do anything. And as long as you're, you have a creative kind of mind, um, that's what really, really is primary. So that was completely where my, my starting point was. I mean, before I had, when I was a young guy before I moved to New York, I mean, I would jam around on a guitar. There was guitars around. My brother played guitar, and he was fairly accomplished. And uh, you know, and I would, he, but he was coming out of like, you know, being into Hendrix and and uh, you know, great players like Roy Buchanan and such. Whereas I was just like immediately into um, what I was seeing uh, uh, things that were just more on the margins that really kind of resonated with me. And I don't know why more subversive stuff resonated with me. I, I, I still need to talk to my analyst about that. But <laughs> um, when I would see images of like, you know, uh, you know, the Stooges or the MC5 or in, in, and then all of a sudden the Ramones and the Sex Pistols and things like this. And I was, I was of the age where that became pretty accessible to me because I was, I was old enough to drive where I could just like zoom into New York City from where I was living in the 70s, mid-70s, which was only an hour, hour and a half away and see these things, you know, and I was just, like, really astounded by it, and some of the first things I saw were just so, like, like off the rails, you know, yeah. like, uh, seeing a band like Suicide, or, 
you know, the cramps, you know, when they first came, uh, you know, into New York and Cleveland, um, you know, or Richard Hell, you know, you know, Richard Hell, like, you know, he just, he just learned how to play bass just by, you know, uh, sheer will, you know, so all these styles are so idiosyncratic and I really, I really like that. And I figured like, no, I'm not going to be playing in a blues rock cover band, all of cream or something like that. It's just, you know, I wasn't really that interested in that. I admired it, but I, um, I knew that that wasn't really where I was at as uh, somebody who wanted to make music. So those things were really in- inspiring to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I was really into, I was really into music before punk rock. I mean, I was, I listened to all the things everybody listened to, be it Beatles or Led Zeppelin, you know, or Joni Mitchell or whatever. But I pretty much put all those records in my mother's basement um, as soon as I heard like the first Ramones album and, um, and they were buried for years until at some point in the early 80s when all of a sudden it became kind of like interesting to actually take the veil off of those records again and sort of see what was happening. They, they were sort of these old moldy dinosaurs that I had forgotten about because the, the whole punk scene that had happened was was just so like all-consuming and amazing and just so full of energy that it could be eradicated uh, history in a way. Huh. It was like, you know, it was like this real born in flames kind of uh, time period for me. And so to actually go back and sort of look at a, a Zeppelin record or a Pink Floyd record, it was very strange. You know, it was like you almost had forgotten about it. It, was, it, it kind of like just seemed like such distant history. Like, and uh, But eventually it became this thing where you started in, incorporating that into but uh, what you wanted to do because it was, you know, again, it was all very interesting music. And, then, and so throughout the 80s, I think it was, there, was, uh, there was that kind of uh, activity going on. It's interesting that yeah. we, we've gotten to a point where um, you mentioned the word eradication, and I think part of what punk was doing was not eradicating history, but actually trying to uh, rid people of the sentimentality of nostalgia. And yet... <laughs> I, yeah, I suppose so, yeah. And, and yet now you're at a point... Where you know you it, it did its job on you, and you know you were you were convinced of that, and now all of a yeah. sudden these records emerge in your life, and you have a I assume a, a, a tinge of, it sounds like confusion and nostalgia. Yeah, possibly confusion and nostalgia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, possibly. I mean, at this point, I think it's like you know the um, music and art history is is such like an open book and it's such a liberated kind of situation. I think then it was really the old, like, it was one of the final gestures of just trying to, or uh, wanting to define youth culture from um, what had gone before, which was so um, already defined. And what I mean by that is this sort of like 60s counterculture, hippie aesthetic, um, and sort of the fallout of that, you know, with like the whole sort of post-Vietnam fallout. Uh, consciousness that was, you know, global. And I think a lot of it, like, was coming from the ashes of that to some degree. And, you know, certainly that was the presentation that people like Malcolm McLaren and John Lydon were sort of presenting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, well, coming out of that, that age, even like Patti Smith was already kind of older at that point than most punk rockers. She was already, you know, 30 years old, you know, which is kind of like up there at that time. She was coming out of hippie, and you know the Ramones all had long hair, 
um, uh, when they first, well, they had long hair, you know. The first <laughs> yeah. short hair, the first short hair band I saw was television. You know, I started to, to say like how shocking that was to walk into CBGB and see a band on stage with short hair. Yeah. You know, like nobody, I mean, in the right mind would get on stage and play rock and roll with short hair. I mean, that was just like kind of, that was, that was nutty. <laughs> you know, but it was, it was, so it was very, you know, that was, a, that was a very shocking statement to make, you know, like, we're not wearing, we're not wearing bell bottoms and we cut our hair off. And it was, that was a really radical uh, uh, visual at the time. Yeah, and, and, I mean, in, over the last few weeks, my on a personal level, over the last few weeks, I've seen Iggy and the Stooges, and I just saw Patti Smith play one of the best concerts mm-hmm. I've ever seen in my life. And yeah. you're right, these are people that I think they reflect aspects of the 60s and 70s but certainly were in this you know in terms of the studios they didn't even know what they had invented in a sense but um oh no not at all they were yeah they were so miscreant i mean iggy says this great thing on television in the 70s when david bowie sort of brought him on to uh on, on a afternoon talk show and i remember seeing it as a teenager and what was her name was it dinosaur yeah uh dinosaur had this television show and it was great because Bowie was on one week every day in the afternoon and he brought Iggy on and so all of America got to see Iggy Pop in the afternoon and uh, so she was just sort of like reading his resume and talking about like okay you're, you're sending box over your body on stage and, blah, blah, blah. and she goes like you know is there anything that you think you've brought to um you know, that you've brought to the table as far as um, what's being new in music or whatever. I mean, what is your, what is your, uh, you know, what is your, what is your thing? And he goes like, I think I, my big thing is that I helped wipe out the 60s. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that was such a good, you know, that was such a like, uh, you know, such a good statement for him to make. Yeah. That's exactly what he was doing. But it's a monster. And it kind of needed to be done. I mean, you know, Lou Reed was kind of wanting to do that as well with the Velvet Underground. I mean, Velvet Underground were so empty, you know, San Francisco people love. You know, they thought it was a, you know, it was a bit of a, of a, of a sham, like, a, you know, in, in a very real way. Which, you know, I don't totally agree with, but it certainly is kind of, um, it has this kind of great black and white glamour to it think about it well your band is interesting because as it evolved it went from i think it it, it absorbed more uh sort of influence from 50s beat culture some 60s idealism uh would you agree with that yeah well we were sort of you know consistent and constant students of that stuff i mean it was always it was always very you know i I don't think we purposely wanted our bands sort of like enter into any kind of lineage of that but we but we did just by doing the work and sort of living the life and you know we were in a period where we could actually move to new york and live um without hardly having to work day jobs so you know of course we did do dishwasher jobs etc so we could pay the measly rent but measly rent is what it was and it was a different you know it, it was it was a completely different economy and it was sort of like Poverty was a factor in what you were doing, and that and that doesn't exist today, especially in that city. You know, I mean, I think it can certainly exist in other places, but I think that was sort of the end of whatever bohemian 
kind of New York City lifestyle there was all through the all through the 20th century, and um, that's kind of gone now. Mm-hmm. Now it's sort of replaced by this kind of, um, you know, this kind of the TV show Girls. You know, it's like that kind of girls thing where it's like you're already kind of like um, have money in the bank and you're kind of trying to sort of, you know, make your mark. Um, you know, and and I, you know, I don't really, I can't really relate to it. But that's what it, that's kind of what it is to actually survive and live in that city. I mean, you kind of have to go in there with, uh, with 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 some bucks, and um, so it's a different world. You know, it's just a different world, and I I don't really feel the that um, that kind of loose, desperate passion that uh, that existed when I was there. Yeah, um, it's a different it's a different mindset. Right, and you have not, not, not to disparage anybody doing good work there. I mean, there's lots of I hear lots of good music, and I see lots of you know uh, good good art stuff going on in New York. You know, but um, you know nobody's uh, living hand to mouth anymore, and it's I'm just not quite sure. It's just a different economic consciousness that goes on right now. Hmm. And you haven't lived in New York uh, for a few years now, right? Uh, I've lived in New York ever. Since since 19, uh, uh, early 77. Um, and then I moved to, uh, Western Massachusetts for about 10 years. And right now I'm somewhat transient. I'm, uh, I, you know, I pretty much live on the road, mm-hmm. you know, in vans and rental cars and buses and trains <laughs> and planes, a lot of planes. Um, I have a residence in, in London, uh, in the UK. And that's oh. kind of my, that's kind of where, uh, I've been hanging my hat um, the last year, which I really enjoy because I've never really sort of lived outside of my zone that I was sort of brought up in. So this is this kind of new, uh, it's a new thing for me in my middle 50s to sort of be kind of in a place where I'm somewhat alien. And uh, that's really fascinating to me. It's interesting, you know, to actually sort of live somewhere like that. I've traveled so much that I sort of, and know what these these different um, landscapes and worlds are and blah blah blah. But I um, so I'm digging that. You know, cool. Kind of kind of good. And there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, musical activity there that I get involved with, and it allows me to sort of um, hit Europe a lot easier. I mean, I can get to France in like a couple hours and, and do gigs or whatever. And uh, there's a lot of opportunities there for me because just because of my um, my history in Masonic Youth has given me enough of a profile where I can get work, you know. Yeah, yeah. Get offers, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I have to, you know, for me, I mean, London's really, really expensive. And it's like, for me, I just have to keep, I have to keep working just to sort of, you know, buy that next pint. Right. <laughs> uh, right. And you've, there's probably a lot, you, as you say, you probably have a lot of friends there. I don't, is Evan Parker in London? No. Where is he? He sure is, yeah. Okay. So I you... see Evan. I, I see Evan quite a bit. I live in an area where um, there's a Vortex Jazz Cafe. Is uh, There's another place called Cafe Auto, which is sort of like a, uh, London's new kind of home for like experimental music. And that's like all week long. It's just kind of an amazing uh, schedule events there. It's really good now. It's, it's sort of come of age, uh, London. I mean, 10 years ago, I, I wouldn't have recognized it uh, for what it is now. I mean, there's a whole culinary scene there that's actually really kind of great. Mm. Whereas 
when I first went there, it was, you know, it, it was just, it was a disgrace. But now it's kind of good. And so it's cool. I have a lot of friends there. You know, I've had a lot of associates there. And, well, okay, cool. You, you, we were talking earlier about how um, you felt uh, compelled to uh, uh, seek out subversive art. And, uh, and that maybe. Uh, you felt you, you don't know why that was, but at some point you did find people that were like-minded, and you you formed Sonic Youth about thirty years ago, uh, more so more than thirty years ago. Now I'm, I'm curious, and I don't know how if you can do this, but how do you compare the experience of starting Chelsea Light Moving versus doing the same thing for Sonic Youth? Well, it's a little hard to compare because you know um, at that time there was no ambition beyond uh, the the following day you know and so um, there's a lot of mystery involved um, a lot of surprises and just you know uh, trying to get like a Tuesday night gig at CBGB's was sort of like you know that was paramount Um, that's not a situation for me right now starting with Chelsea Light Moving it's just like there's already kind of is already sort of a um, a known a known entity, which is myself, and so invariably it's always sort of compared to Sonic Youth. Um, you know, I have relatives who will say like, "God, this this song, this Chelsea Light Moving song, it sounds so much like Sonic Youth." And I was like, "Well, well yeah, what do you expect it to sound like?" <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, it's like you know, as far as like that kind of songwriting, that was that's sort of that's my ID, but I, you know, um, and I, I, you know, it's one of those things of like, why be something that you're not? The experience of sort of having a band is, it's, it's quite, it's quite different. Um, you know, I, I, at the same time, it's, it's the idea of being in a band called Chelsea, like moving and going town to town where it just sort of says that name in the paper or whatever. A lot of times it won't mention my name. It's it's pretty obscure for most people, unless Mm -hmm. you're kind of like, really hooked into like what I am doing through whatever social medias there are, you may not be so inclined to like, you know, um, jump, but, um, but I kind of am okay with that, you know, and it's a trade-off. If I think if I went out and I was doing a tour right now where it was just me, Thurston Moore and doing it, it maybe has a little more, um, there might be a little more, uh, kind of, it's, it's probably a little more easier for people to, to, um, I don't know, read into like what it's going to be, you know? Um, so, you know, I don't even, I don't think of it as a new band. I mean, Matador records and they put the record out. It was like this campaign. It was like Thurston Moore's new band. And I was like, I, I don't, that's not really how I feel about it. Like a new band. I basically, I've been playing with these musicians under my own name for quite a while. And just by giving it a name, I just wanted to just do that. And, and, uh, Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Uh, sort of rapid, rapid in that name. And I, um... But again, I mean, it, it kind of does affect. Uh, it does affect the promotion of it because I think it kind of creates a bit of a um, obscurity. It's, and then you know, I do so, and I do so many things from time to time on different records. As it's like, oh, he's just going to do this for one record, and then he's going to move on and do like you know, a piano quartet record or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you know, so and I understand that as well because I don't even know what I'm going to do next. You know, it's just like I have you know this. And I kind of like that. I mean, it, it might be sort of uh, kind of suicidal in a careerist way, but um, I don't ever, ever make my plans in according to uh, money. Let's put it that way. It's funny it's that like, you. It's um, it's funny that you think that attaching your name to something would would give it any kind of specific association because you and I. We're both at the Sled Island Festival in Calgary. I guess it must have been last year. And mm-hmm. I remember talking to some friends about your, your upcoming show and us being like, well, what, what is it? What's he doing? Like, what, what Thurston Moore is it going right. to be? Like, is it, with, is it for the new record? Is it for, which is like a song-based record? Is he, is he going to do some kind of freak-out thing? Like, what is it? So it's funny. <laughs> it's funny. Like, no one, I think your name in particular, like, I don't think anyone would know what to expect when you come to town yeah. as yourself. Well, that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, I mean it. It really is okay. I mean, I um, you know, I focused on doing like twelve string acoustic guitar music for a while, and uh, you know, and then I also do a lot of work with like um the poetry communities of like North America, and I teach every summer at Naropa University, which is uh, a school that was founded by Allen Ginsberg in the mid seventies to. Um, present different ideas and teachings of what poetry is in different contexts, and so that's a that's a whole other, you know, um, community that I'm involved with is, is that writing community, and I, and I, in a way, I always sometimes I just feel like I should just devote myself to that, which is like even less of an, an income than what you're doing with like experimental rock music. It's like these things that really fascinate me are just like you know, move further and further away from, like, uh, survival and money, you know, which is like, but I kind of, I kind of am okay with that. I kind of like that in a way. Yeah. Um, I guess, I guess I should have gone towards acting or something where you can. Well, your song, your song-based album discography outside of Sonic Youth has been very interesting in that we, we talked a little bit about Psychic Hearts and, and that felt like a logical extension of your work with, with your band at the time, um, and then things like Demolished Thoughts and now Chelsea Light Moving contain, I'd say, more departures. I know you were saying other people are like, it sounds like Sonic Youth. And, I mean, obviously you're at the core of all of this, so it's going to sound a bit like Sonic Youth. But when yeah, you're, it, when, sounds like my, it sounds like my, it sounds like me and Sonic Youth, I guess. Sure, but... I when, mean, so it, certainly, it certainly doesn't have Lee's uh, guitar playing and, and Kim's guitar playing and Shelly's drumming, so yeah, yeah. without that, it's not, it is not Sonic Youth without that, so... I mean that's all there is to it. Yeah, and and you're at you're at the core, and you're writing songs away from the band. But and you may have spoken to this already. Do you find yourself fighting the band's legacy at all when you're kind of define when you're trying to define yourself? 
No, no, I don't. I mean, I don't really I get too. Um, I don't get too stressed out or worried about that so much. I mean, it really has to sort of be something that feels right to me, and it has to sound like something that I would like to hear a band do, or um, you know, when it's a performance, like the kind of band that I would like to see, you know. And that's what Sonic. That's the one similarity with Sonic is that it's like uh, writing and presenting something that is what. I always want to hear or see or just, you know, and surprising myself with it sometimes. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's, that's all that is. Okay. Well, because it has elements of metal and punk, some have described this Chelsea Light moving record as really heavy, and I'm wondering what do you make of that? What do you make of the reception to the band in general? Well, in a way, I think any kind of metal or punk moves that I, I would sort of employ in Sonic Youth, a lot of times they would become diffused just through the interaction of the different musicians in Sonic Youth, and which was always kind of um, okay with me. And I think without without that um, interplay with like Lee and Kim and Steve, where I am pretty much calling all the shots here, um, and it's less of a discussion um, as far as Sonic Youth is, um, it becomes more sort of like first thought, best thought, or like those moves that I make that are really informed by just like straight up hardcore or punk or, or, or metal, black metal, you know, um, <clears throat> they're going, they're going to sort of maintain that kind of like initial, uh, kind of intent, um, without becoming somewhat diffused by these, these other minds in a way. And not to say that John or Samara or Keith, who I play with now, don't bring in their own um, personalities to music. They do, but it's I am the boss man and uh, <laughs> uh, through and through as far as this is concerned. So I kind of call the shots about like how this stuff is going to be presented, and I kind of am happy about that. I mean, I like I like that's not something I was really ever able to do fully with Sonic. Not that I really you know desire to do that so much, but. Um, it allows me to do it, and I and so therefore things maybe sort of have a more sort of um, kind of like purist uh, vibe in that respect. Right, right. I mean, yeah. it's it's basically your call, and and you can see a song yeah. through rather than filtering it through everybody else. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, for better or worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to say, it's a it's a it, the the record is for me. This record is a little more all over the place than. Anything that you yeah. you've been associated with outside of Sonic Youth uh, before? Yeah, and I, well, we're making some new. I'm making some new songs with these guys, and I think the next record's going to probably even be more sort of like messed up. <laughs> 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 you know. <laughs> well, that's. I always like records. That, I always like records that sounded like they weren't recorded in just like one place or in one session. Right. I was always really. Uh, I was always really inspired by like I think it was a replacements record. Uh, Let It Be or Tim, like one of those two, where it just sounded like they were just bouncing from like the basement to the studio. So I mean, it's just like these different places where the songs were coming from. And I always liked that a lot. And, um, you know, as opposed to just, you know, you know, one singular kind of sound on a record, and, you know, which is cool too. I mean, we all love Sgt. Pepper, I guess, you know. Sure, but. sure, sure. No, I, I, <clears throat> I hear you. I, again, 
I just saw the replacements. <laughs> oh yeah, how was that? It was incredible. It was so good. Oh, cool. I, that was actually one yeah. of, that Riot Fest day in Toronto was one of the best things I've ever seen. It was Dinosaur Junior, Rocket from the Crypt, uh, the Weaker Thans. Iggy and the Stooges and the replacements. Like, it was just bonkers. Damn. Damn. <laughs> All I in one. that one. Yeah, it was great. It was really fantastic. I think there's a few. Well, yeah. I don't know. They might have been. They might be done. But anyway, yeah. I, if you get a chance and that lineup happens again, you know, I know you're busy, but. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. <laughs> a little. Yeah, a little. few things on my plate. Yeah. But yeah. I. Uh, yeah, I'll definitely check that out. Yeah, yeah. Almost everyone in Sonic Youth has gone on to create some some new music since the band went on hiatus. Uh, Lee was actually working on his first solo album before before the hiatus, and now he's got an- another one with Steve, which is really really cool. Um, Kim just released the Body Head record. Uh, how engaged mm-hmm. are you with the music that's being made by your bandmates right now? Well, um, you know, I'm, I, my awareness of it is certainly there, and you know, I, and I have communication with everybody, and so, yeah, I know exactly, I know what people are doing. I, um, you know, I was working on that record, the Demolished Thoughts record, the when I did at Bex, sort of around just when the last Sonic Youth record was being made, mm-hmm. um, and um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, you know, there's not so much. Uh, daily communication as there, as there used to be, that's for sure. But um, I think we're all very sort of um, aware of each other and, you know, what people are doing. I mean, we're, all of our activities are um, noted on the, you know, com site, you know, so there's, there's still, the enterprise still exists uh, in that respect. Um, <clears throat> so it's, um, yeah, and I, I think it's all good too. Everything I've sort of heard and seen and, um, uh, Lee's, Lee has a new record coming out with his group, which he's called The Dust. Yep. And uh, I'm really, I'm really excited to hear that. And it's I haven't a, heard anything yet. It's a very cool record. I, I like it. Very yeah, much. I, I, I'm really, I'm really curious to hear it. I haven't had a chance to. I've heard uh, Body Head record. I like. You know, I, I put out the very first Body Head release on my label, Ecstatic Peace, was a cassette release. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and you know, I'm very close to Bill Nace. Um, I had a long-running uh, duo with him called Northampton Wolves through the years. Hmm. Um, you know, it's all very familial. I mean, you know, we're all we're all, we're all family. It's just like you know, families families are a little have their have their histories of being effed up. You know, uh, <laughs> through the years, and that's just the way it is. It's just you know, it's part of our it's part of the human history of families. And so I. Uh, <clears throat> But you know, that's who we are, and so we we're we're all you know we're all very connected, and uh, you know um, I don't really foresee that changing too much. Even though it has changed radically, I don't see it really sort of becoming a situation where I would find myself completely completely shut off and ignorant of like what these, these people who I've grown up with and love uh, are doing. So I mean, that's always going to be. That's always going to be part of my life. So, so, so you will. I mean, you have spent time listening to what other people are doing, but uh, you're you're not totally up on it, I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I I'm not like um, I'm I, I like like I said, I haven't heard Lee's new record, but I, I I will. And uh, you know, we we communicate with each other through emails and stuff, and we we're all you know, it's all very. You know, there's, there's nothing. Um, you know, too weird going on besides, you know, what you know, but, yeah, yeah. you know, other than that, no, no, it's all, 
it's it's pretty cool. Okay, pretty cool. cool. So uh, you mentioned that you might be you're you're already working towards a new Chelsea Light moving record that might be weirder than this one, <laughs> the, the first uh-huh. the first one. What else is next for you? Um, I'm going to do some like I have some solo, uh, just straight up solo stuff. I'm doing like instrumental guitar music and stuff uh, for different people. Um, you know. I'm, I have a show coming up where I'm playing with um, Dylan Carlson from Earth uh, in London. And then I have another show coming up where I'm playing with Stephen O'Malley from Sun. Oh, cool. In Paris. Um, I, you know, I continue to do work with Yoko Ono, which I really, which I really like. And that's, that's fascinating to me. Um, oh, and, oh, sorry, uh, sorry. and then, you know, and, Yes. <laughs> oh, sorry. I was just going to say, how long? How long have you actually known Yoko Ono? Uh, about ten years or so. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I think I met her at some point in the '90s, and um, we were th- sort of thrown together to do a couple of things in New York once. Um, there were sort of benefits uh, for situations in New York that we would improvise together, and I would play Mulberry, which was a piece that she and John. I've been doing, um, you know, in the late 60s, early 70s, which is basically three-form guitar playing and her sort of um, doing mulberry, which is her thoughts and memories of being a young girl hiding in her mulberry bushes in, in, in Tokyo while U.S. war planes were zooming overhead. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I did that. And, you know, I worked with her from time to time, you know, um, so there's that, and you know, and I think I'm going to get more focused on like the work I do with Ann Waldman at Nairobi University and the whole School of Poetry there. And uh, next year is their 40th year anniversary, and I'll probably you know, spend the entire, a lot of the summer there working. I, that's that's a that's a community that I really um I really like. It's like I find it to be really close to um, my heart, that energy. What's the nature of your work with uh, that uh, group? What's the nature of what? Sorry, what's the nature of your work with the uh, poetry group? Um, I I teach there, and I you know I, I have a couple of publishing imprints that I uh, I uh, publish work of um, for new younger poets. I have, I have an imprint called Flowers and Cream. That does this kind of small edition, fine edition of books of poetry by uh, sort of underpublished writers for the most part. And then I have a literary journal that I've done since 2000, just about, um, called the Ecstatic Peace Poetry Journal. Um, and yeah, I've sort of, um, you know, that's kind of a scene that I'm very sort of sensitive about because I never wanted to be sort of like, you know, rock star being poet, you know, slumming it in a poetry world kind of thing. Hmm. And because that, the work that goes on there as far as writing and um, what it means as, as, as far as um, being sort of an, an, an artful exercise and in in just like the, the, the practice that, that is involved and sort of, you know, the intention and the study, um, that's something I've always been very involved with. And um, so I try to sort of um, 
kind of deflect any kind of sense of just being like uh, like a weekend poet or a housewife poet or something, you know, mm-hmm. um, that is, you know, that you might sort of see when you see like a musician like publishing a book of poetry. Um, you know, it's not, it's not like a, I don't ever want to sort of be in this place where it's just like I'm just like a celebrity poet, like Suzanne Somers putting out a book of poetry. Or <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, what was her, what was, which I really like those books too. They're really fun. I think her book was called Touch Me. But, you know, I have, I have a first edition hardcover of that. And I really. I really, I really like that one. Yeah, no, that that made yeah. sense. I was a little confused why the instruction manual for the Thigh Master was also poetry. That seemed <laughs> odd. <laughs> it is poetry. <laughs> to me, that's a, that's you know, that's a, that's you know, that's that's a heavy read, right there. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> it's a lot of work. You got to fit into your jeans, right? You got to get that Thigh yeah, Master yeah. thing happening. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. no, that's that's great to hear, and I appreciate your engagement with uh, with that work because I, I wasn't. Yeah, I mean, there's a heavy sort of like. Um, Canadian poetry scene that sort of is very connected to the work that I do uh, at Naropa and with the St. Mark's Poetry Project. Um, and, you know, there's there's this whole world that, uh, of um, Coach House Press, you know. Oh, and, amazing uh, press. Amazing, amazing press. Yeah. And that history is really important. And um, so people like BP Nickel are, very, you know, are very significant. And, uh, you know, and, and Weed Flower Press, um, that Nelson Ball, that his imprint, um, again, it's like, you know, it's, it, those are really sort of uh, kind of um, just sort of interconnected with a lot of the work that has been going on in sort of the New York school and sort of the Midwest Cleveland school of D.A. Levy and, and all these, all the, I mean, this stuff is really sort of <laughs> pretty obscure to talk about on the radio, I imagine, but. Sure, no, I, no, uh, it's good. It's, but it's but it's so it's it's like it's really it's really important to me and it kind of infuses a lot of um, it kind of is part and parcel to a lot of what my interest in in music is and the economics of music and just sort of presentation of music and all this kind of stuff and it it's it's really relevant and I I really like working in both of these realms and trying to sort of blur the any kind of uh, that lines that, that may sort of distinguish them in a way. Right. Um, so um, that's really, you know, that's really cool. I mean, you know, Leonard Cohen sort of came out of that thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, just, he just like became a musician or he was, I know, I, you know, I, I, not that I uh, sort of see that as the model or anything like that, but um, there's, you know, there's always been a, a real relationship between underground music and, and underground poetry. For sure. They're inextricably linked. I, I believe you. And I, <clears throat> yes. I, they're just, yeah, it makes complete sense. Yeah, I mean, you Patti Smith, Bob Dylan, Lou Reed. I mean, those are those are the figures that I um, I came up with and wanted to sort of do that. I, that's the work I wanted to do. So. Yeah. <clears throat> but that's kind of what's going on. I know you, you express cynicism about rock stars who, or whatever, musicians who write poetry books, but I mean... To be honest, I mean David Berman's book is fantastic. Uh, Jeff Tweedy, yeah. Jeff well, David, yeah, and Jeff's book is good. Yeah, yeah, and these are guys who really are. I mean, you know, their awareness of that history is is um, you know, it's pretty succinct. You know, I mean, Berman is primarily a working poet. I think you know, I think when he gets involved with rock and roll, it's just that's almost um, that's next for him. Yeah. I um, I miss David Berman so much. I, I, I sometimes I pay attention yeah. to his blog. I don't know what he's doing. 
I do not either. You know. <laughs> <laughs> God only knows. <laughs> I hope he's okay and doing good work. I, there's an occasional missive, but I don't know what he's up to, and yeah. it's, it's a loss for everyone. <laughs> uh, you are playing Hamilton, Toronto, and Montreal. First of all, Thurston, we've been talking a while. Where are you now? Do you, have you crossed any state lines? Uh, I, I just crossed the state line just when you said that. Weird. I just crossed from Ohio. Yeah, I mean, literally like five seconds ago, we just crossed over Ohio into Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. Jeez. <laughs> so, I get, we're getting there. Okay, good, good. I, I hope you make it okay. Now, you're, you're heading, yeah. uh, eventually you'll be in Hamilton, Toronto, and Montreal. These are your Canadian stops. Yeah. Uh, you know a lot about music scenes. Does anything about those cities excite you in terms of musical history? Well, I mean, certainly the Nihilist Spasm Band out of London, Ontario has always been sort of... Uh, uh, worth worth every bit of hero worship. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always and I've always sort of been into uh, the, the the punk scenes of you know even from like the seventies that have come out of uh, you know out of Toronto. I mean I uh, you know I I used to see this band called the Poles when they come down and play CBGBs in the nineteen seventies, and uh, the Poles used to have this great song called CN Tower. Um, that was kind of a cool seven inch. Oh, was cool. A, there's a band called the B Girls. There's a band called the Vile Tones, you know, who had that great song, Screaming Fist. Um, all great bands, were, yeah. Yeah, yeah, all, they're all good bands, right? I mean, it's like, you know, um, you know, and just, I go up to a Victoriaville festival, like, uh, you know, um, every once in a while and do projects, you know, in the springtime. Victoriaville, so. Oh, yeah, that's right. You, you do do that. Yeah. Okay, so you have associations. You know, you and I are both going to be in Hamilton. You're, you're going to be in Hamilton, and I'm going to be in Hamilton. I'm going to get you a copy. Are you aware of a, a book called Perfect Youth? Uh, it's a, it's about punk rock history in Canada. Perfect Youth, yeah. I don't have it, though. I'm going to get you, I'm going to give you my copy, and my friend Sam, who wrote it, will give me a new one. I think you'll really enjoy it. I, I would love that. Okay. That'd be so cool. I'm going to dig yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I, gonna... know, I know about that book. I, uh, my friend Byron Coley has it. Okay. I was, like, you know, I was looking at that. He's, uh, he's a punk historian. Yeah, well, Sam, Sam Sutherland is a buddy of mine. He wrote it, and uh, it's a great, great read. I'm sure you'd find it fascinating. <clears throat> I will find my oh, copy, good. and I will get it to you. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, no, no sweat. No sweat. I, once, right, I want to tell people once again, Chelsea Light Moving... Uh, released their self-titled debut LP earlier this year on Matador Records. It's a really, really cool one, and their current tour brings them to Hamilton Supercrawl on September 14th, which is a free outdoor show. Uh, Toronto's Horseshoe on uh, September 15th. That show is not free. You'll need to bring some money uh, or, or pick up a ticket. And finally, Montreal's Cabaret Mile End on September 16th. Uh, for more information about all of these things, please visit ChelseaLightMoving.com and MatadorRecords.com. Uh, Thurston, before we go, is there a Chelsea Light moving song that we can play right now uh, for people to hear? Oh, certainly there is. Uh, either play the very first song, uh, Heaven Metal, or uh, play this uh, song called Sleeping Where I Fall. I think that's kind of radio-friendly. They're both <laughs> they're both pretty great songs. Is there anything you want to say about uh, any any one of them, if we focus in on one? Well, we don't. I always ask people to play uh, Heaven Metal because we don't play that one live. Mm-hmm. Um, the only time I ever do it live is when I just sort of, I, I just sing it or recite it without any musical accompaniment, oh, okay. um, which is kind of uh, which is kind of frightening, uh, not only for me but for the audience as well. <laughs> <laughs> <So. laughs> well, "Sleeping Where I Fall" is a is a really cool song. There's a lot of like uh, it's it's I, I enjoy that one a lot. There's a lot of cool arrangement ideas in it. 
Yeah. I mean, a lot of those songs are really, I mean, we just like get together and it's just like, it's just like riff mongering and then just sort of like, um, hearing what a song can be by that kind of exercise. And then like going into it and just sort of like, sometimes I'll just sort of take it home with me and then I'll like come back the next day and like, okay, here's the arrangement. Yeah. Um, and that's just, I, I really like doing that. So, um, it's pretty, it's pretty instant. Um, as far as gratification is concerned. Okay, well, um, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'll play... Which one should I play? Hmm. You already play Elided. That's my favorite song on the record. Oh, come on. You can't give me another option. You gave me two. I got to pick one. Oh, oh, oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, go with Elided. I, go... I, 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 I wish I could send you some of the new uh, demos we have. Well, there's no reason why you, there's no reason why you can't. <laughs> from our, from our, our forthcoming LP, Love Life. Oh man, when is that? Is there already a date? Is it already done? What's uh, it'll, it'll be it'll be in the springtime. Okay, yeah. Well, I want to hear that, so feel free to send me yeah. those. But I think for now, we'll play. Uh, I think we'll play Elated. You said it last. Yeah, 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 yeah. Play that one. Okay, we'll play Elated <laughs> by uh, Chelsea Light Moving. Uh, Thurston Moore, always a, a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you once again for your time. Yeah, thanks. It was fun. Uh, good luck with your drive. I hope... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, it's starting to rain. Yeah. <laughs>
Hey, thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at CFRU.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.